Welcome to episode 81 of Music Nerds Unite. This is Scott Floman again with my brother Keith Floman and our buddy Larry Waldman. In this episode, we'll be doing a draft of the best songs of 1969. And like in our prior recent episodes, we'll each draft five songs apiece via Snake Draft. The first pick for 1969 goes to me, followed by Larry and then Keith, and we'll reverse it for round two and so on for five rounds. The ground rules are the same as in our prior song draft episodes. And we'll have links to associated playlists in the notes of the episode. The intro song from 1969, which I picked, was Many Rivers to Cross by Jimmy Cliff. We previously talked about Bob Marley's No Woman No Cry in our 1975 episode. That was great, but it wasn't really a reggae song. It was a soul song. The same can be said about this classic soul ballad from a reggae artist. Many Rivers to Cross was originally released in 1969, but was later included on the classic The Harder They Come soundtrack album in 1972. That's probably the most popular reggae album outside of Bar Marley. If you don't have it, I suggest you rectify that ASAP because it's fantastic. Desmond Decker, who we played in the last episode, has a song on the soundtrack as well. And there are other classic reggae songs by the likes of the Melodians, Toots and the Maytals, who were terrific, and Jimmy Cliff himself, who also starred in the movie. The sound on many riffs across is spare. It's simple, really. It's a hymn, a spiritual, but the tasty organ and guitar are spot on. And Jimmy's thin but emotional vocals are so soulful, and the gospel backing vocals are great as well. The end result is highly moving and an incredibly beautiful ballad that's been covered by many other artists, most successfully by UB40, who had a top 20 hit with it in 1983. Jimmy Cliffs is my favorite version, though. Before we start the song draft, do you guys have any general thoughts about Many Rivers Across and or 1969 in general? Yeah, so I think you probably could have picked one or two different songs as your opener, not because this is a bad song or because it's not worthy of it. Just there are two songs that I definitely don't know that are going to get drafted that are pretty emblematic of 1969 that deserve to get played. So, and Keith and I were talking about them beforehand. So do you want to guess what those are? So I guess they should be drafted then if they're that good. No, because they don't, you know how there's some songs that they just don't fit, but they should uh, be so, talking about. So, and that's what we usually use an opener for. So, My Way by Frank Sinatra. Yes, that would have been one of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, give me another hint. The other one is famous as a sing-along, even more so in sporting events, and even more more so uh-huh. in Boston. Sweet, Sweet Caroline yeah. by Neil Diamond. You also have Steam, right? Na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. I think that yeah. was this year as well. It fits a little bit more because at least that's sort of a rock song. Yeah. Sweet Caroline is one of those universally beloved songs. Yeah. You put it on anytime, any place, and everybody's singing along to it. Absolutely. But anyway. But my way in Frank is. I literally had no idea that my way came out in 1969 until like a week ago. It's like what a wonderful world all over again, right? It's it's, exactly. It's like okay. I'm with you. Only it wasn't a week ago. It was like four weeks ago when we first started prepping for this because we yeah, had some vacation in between. But yeah, agree. I had no idea. I thought it was like 1960. I would assume it was like 1950. <laughs> like, to me, I, like, no I couldn't believe it. My way came out in 1969. Frank Sinatra. Yeah, seems seems impossible. 
There's uh, another Frank song that also came out much later than I thought. It much did. later, yeah, much, much later. 1980, we'll yeah. yeah, we'll get and to that. Written by Paul Anka, a favorite of my mom's, and obviously we talked about the inspiration later on with Life on Mars, right? So yeah. I would just say many rivers to cross. Almost presumptuous, Scott, that you wouldn't think it would get picked because Agreed. and it's absolutely a soul song. I mean, and I'm a big fan of soul even though I know I've gotten some criticism from people <laughs> around my dissing of, uh, of Otis and Doc of the Bay. And Aretha. Uh, and Aretha. And again, I have to, to remind people that I, I do, look, um, maybe I was a little hard on Otis and sitting on the Dock of the Bay. So maybe I should take this opportunity to apologize to Otis. Absolutely fucking nobody. <laughs> nice. But Otis is your man. Come on. My man. Otis, my man. Many Rivers just speaks to me more just as a soul song. I go by emotion. Like, I go by emotion and I go by how songs make, like, what they evoke and what they make me feel. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it like I see it. So while I appreciate and, and look, I was a little harsh on, on Otis, I got I to gotta say, and probably Aretha too. But I do have a spot for soul that hits you. And May Rivers hits me more than Dr. Bay. I do think this is one of the greatest soul songs of all time. It was presumptuous of me to pick it as an intro song because it certainly is draftable. But I wanted it to be played, and I didn't think I would get around to drafting it. Hence, an intro song. That's so we're going to talk about 69. Do we want to talk about 69 now? Absolutely. Go ahead. 69 might be the best year of all time. <laughs> it, it might be the best year of all time. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous year. Um, I think our honorable mention song playlist will be over 200 songs, by the way. <laughs> could go eight rounds. It's got everything. And I know Scott's been waiting through the 60s to get to 69 for, you know, some reasons. But you got the first pick, and that puts a lot of... Uh, a lot of pressure on you because I know like your heart is in one place, but like, yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's no wrong pick, but we'll still criticize you whichever one you pick. Yeah, I don't think you will. We count on Scott to pick certain, you know, yeah. stuff. So, you know, he picks one and then it doesn't come back around to him until. Uh... I'm very curious. I think there may be some gamesmanship with some picks after me. One thing that's really difficult about '69 in addition to how deep it is and how so many different genres are in it, it's that there are artists that have like four or five songs deep in this that we just by our own rules, we can't pick, right? So it's good in that way because it makes you go further down the list and try to find some. And I know in setting up like my own draft board, there are definitely some songs that are, I don't know, better, but maybe like, more highly acclaimed or better known than some of the ones that I'm probably going to draft just because it is so deep that I figure it's almost like incumbent upon us to share some maybe not as well-known songs. So this is going to be really interesting. Like there's, you could do like chalk picks for the first 20 songs and they'd all be all timers, but yeah. if we go a little deeper, we'll still find some amazing songs. So 1969, like you said, it's it's in the running for the greatest year in rock history. It's absolutely awesome. You have all-time legends like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in their prime, and some new faces announce themselves as possible threats to the throne. Prog rock is birthed, maybe proto-punk too. You got big rock bands with horns, jazz rock fusion, rock operas, 
and more great funk, soul, and Motown. This may be the greatest year ever for psychedelic soul, right? With Sly and the Family Stone, Funkadelic, Isaac Hayes, The Temptations, The Fifth Dimension, and others. You had Elvis Presley and Dusty Springfield both recording classic albums in Memphis. Neil Young meeting Crazy Horse. We got CCR, CSN, the band, and so much more. It's just a phenomenal year. And culturally, you had the ultimate love in at Woodstock, followed by the crash and burn tragedy at Altamont, which symbolized the end of the 60s and the naive idealism of the hippie dream. That's 1969. There's a lot of shit going on. In the world, and you hear it, you hear it in the music. You definitely hear it in the music. Yeah. Okay, it's time for the first pick. We foreshadowed this pick in our last episode. Apocalyptic Number is the greatest song from one of the greatest bands ever. A band who are the leaders in the clubhouse right now. I think this is the seventh song we've drafted by them from 1965 to 1979. Maybe more than any other song, this one made it official. The 60s were over. The Woodstock dream was dead. And dangerous times lie ahead. guys expected that was gimme shelter by the rolling stones starting ominously and building from there the song is notable for its distorted guitars muscular rhythms and mick jagger's harp interjections and compelling vocals however the icing on the cake is provided by the otherworldly freakishly powerful vocals of mary clayton who provides the greatest guest vocal in rock history heck it may be the greatest vocal in rock history period Gives me chills every time. And of course, Let Up Lead was a great album. And it's epic gospel choir enhanced closer. You can't always get what you want in particular. It's another all-time classic. Together, these two songs form one of the greatest album opener and closer combos in rock. And in 1969, there's another song, a classic standalone single that may be picked as well, but not by me. So not only is that one of the greatest guest vocals or vocals of all time 
It's also one of the most devastating, both in its power, but also what happened to Mary Clayton afterwards, because she was literally woken up in the middle of the night because they thought they need a woman to be able to do the guest vocal. They called her up. She ran out of the house, did the take while she was pregnant, and then went back home and had a miscarriage. So she fortunately recovered and had a very, very long and still going amazing career as a backup singer. She's even featured in a documentary about backup singers. That's called 20 Feet from Stardom, the documentary, and it's really good. Highly recommend it. The power in her, I mean, you hear her voice break during it, and it was so good that they kept the take. And then you hear Mick going, woo, afterwards, because what other reaction can you possibly have after hearing yeah, it? Yeah, lost in the moment. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it, too, is that it's so powerful, and they recorded it in that take because you're, you're never going to, I mean, that's a capturing magic. You're never going to get anything better than that. And this is one of those songs, again, from the first note, right? Like, as soon as you hear that, ooh, and the guitar, it just sets that mood and it just yeah. builds from there and goes gets better and better as it goes along. It literally makes you feel like a storm is about to crash over you and you can see it coming and there's nothing you can do to get out of its way or escape its power. And that's how I feel about this song. I mean, we were joking that there's a lot of good songs you could have picked as number one, but this there are a few years where it's like a no-brainer. This was a no-brainer to me. Despite the fact there are other great songs that would be number one in many other years, yeah, this, this, this is one of the all-time, all-time songs. Yeah. But yeah, probably underrated how the music sets the mood for the lyrics. Such an understated menace to the opening music that when he says the storm is threatening, it's like, it, that's almost like what he had to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it just leads into that so freaking yeah. well. And, and obviously her vocal performance it's not a perfect performance but it's a perfect performance right it's a perfectly imperfect perfectly imperfect performance that just leaves you freaking you know exhausted and credit to mick and the boys right you're mick jagger lead singer of the rolling stones and you're confident enough to share the spotlight with somebody who's right to this song where you're going to get blown basically get blown away and he's great on it too and he's great right he shared he does share the spotlight in a way that doesn't make it seem like you know he's getting overshadowed by it too much um even though you know like she is a scene stealer but it's in a way that you know he holds his own as a leading man that is a good way to kick us off yeah all right, number two. So I went back and forth on two songs. I mean, on the off chance that you weren't going to take Gimme Shelter. Obviously, that's what I would have picked. But I really thought there was a very, 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 very small chance. And I would have made fun of you if you didn't a little bit. But I went back and forth on two songs, both from artists that we've played quite a lot. Actually, I should have called up the rankings. So the Rolling Stones are in first place, right? The songs the, so far. Yeah, the Stones are in first. So who who's in second place? Can you give me the, the names? I believe it's a tie between Bowie, Neil, and Elton. All right. Well, and maybe you're, breaking, you're, breaking the, you're breaking the tie. I'm not breaking the tie. I'm picking a different song by somebody else because I keep going back and forth on whether or not I should pick that song, but I'm going to leave that one to Keith. It's funny because I think before we started MMU, Keith knew the least about that guy. And now he's the biggest fanboy of the three of us. <laughs> oh, I'm still a huge fanboy. It's just, I, I just, I needed to pick this song. I also feel like its sequence is a little better after Gimme Shelter. 
right. So that was that was tough for me because it, as I think he's going to pick for the next song, there's definitely a song that I could have taken, but there's no way I thought that this was going to come back to me. Although maybe I could have gamed it a little bit. I thought it was a given that I pick all the Led Zeppelin songs. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I knew you would pick it at some point, but I also there's just something about hearing that after all the chaos and. Using the studio as an so actually I don't think I said what the name of the song is that was whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin but using the studio as an instrument where if you're listening in stereo you literally hear it going back and forth and if you're of a certain age with a certain some certain things to help you out I mean literally it feels like you're floating inside the music and then hearing Bonham just absolutely crush it like a thunderbolt from the sky, and then one of the most iconic guitarists of all time. I needed to own that one. I needed to draft that song. I mean, the end of the song, you could have gone with the end of the song. I could have gone with the end of the song, too. Yeah. You could have gone with the opening riffs. You played the studio experimentation into the amazing page and bottom kind of duel there, which is awesome. And then, of course, the legendary way down inside scream there. And then, like he said, the outro is phenomenal, too. And to me, Zeppelin were masters at the ad-lib kind of song outro there. And uh, totally. it's primal sexual tension, too. It took what Cream, Hendrix, and the Jeff Beck group did to, like, the next level. To the next, to the next level. Absolutely. I know there's, you know, there's lots of Zeppelin songs, and we've picked lots. And this probably puts them up to, like, I would say five or six, probably. Right, Scott? Yeah, I mean, they didn't have that many albums, but almost all of them have. The one misfire we probably should have picked since I've been loving you in the 70s, or Immigrant Song. Or Immigrant Song. Kicking yeah. myself about that. But, yeah, yeah, most of their albums have had a song that we've, that we've, you know, that we've selected. I'm going to let you talk about, if you want to, Scott, talk about the controversy about the song, whether or not it was ripped uh, off. Before Scott goes, I was just going to ask who originally recorded the song. So maybe yeah. Just, but that was just to piss off Scott. They cribbed some lyrics, but does anyone think this song is great because of the lyrics? I mean, come on. Yes, they should have given credit where credit is due, but this song is awesome 100% because of Led Zeppelin. The greatest headphone song of all time. Totally, totally. Because the way it goes through you. Now, thank you for setting me up, though, because on the lyrics, you know, something that always bothered me was when Robert Plant says that he wants to give you every inch of his love. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. They have the metric system, but it sounds a lot better than every centimeter of your love, right? And then I realized that England didn't go to the metric system until 1970. So it still made sense. <laughs> you way overthought that one. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. What sounds better? I want to give you every inch of my love or I want to give you every yeah. centimeter of my love? That doesn't sound very cool. Led Zeppelin had two amazing debut albums, was phenomenal. There's so many songs you could pick just from that. So Led Zeppelin 2 was like the next level in heaviness, which led to Sabbath, right? Maybe we'll pick another Zepp song. There's certainly several that are worthy, but amazing year from Led Zeppelin. And when I said in my kind of intro monologue about contenders to the throne, yeah, that's who I was talking about, these guys. Yeah, I know. There's something, there's something about this version of Led Zeppelin that's... Definitely sort of progressive, right? It's avant-garde in a way. It's out there. Psychedelic. It's like it's, it's unique for its time, but it's not yet taking themselves as seriously lyrically as they get it, or even musically as they get sort of later, you know, in, in the in the coming albums. And there's to me, there's a I don't know, there's something about these two albums that that has a purity to them that 
that they don't retain going forward, even though they progress, right? There are layers that they add later. There's still something about like just the uniqueness of them exploding out of the gate with this type of sound. There's a rawness to those first two albums, and it's more blues-based as well. And I don't think Plant ever sounded better than on the early albums. It's almost, it's it's like, and Scott knows that, you know, I have a love for Maiden's first two albums, right? There's, it's not the same, and this obviously Plant continues. It's like there's... There's the, the rawness to the earlier stuff that they lose a little bit in trade-off for... It feels more bombastic as it goes on, right? Yeah, but they became more eclectic also, right? Yeah. With the folk right. and the Eastern... And the yep. Eastern. Yeah. All right, great pick. I thought for sure you guys were going to make me pick it. I was going to happily do so, but absolutely deserving of a number two pick. Okay. So I got, I got, number, I got the next one queued up. I, I, mean, I don't know, unless you're going to surprise me. Well, Keith has two picks here. Yeah. I think I know what album he's going to pick. I don't know the song. And it may be three or four. We'll see. speaking yeah that's bowie space oddity there's greatness there right inspired i guess a little bit by stanley kubrick's space odyssey and by the man on the moon right just that release released right as uh as we landed on the moon america and you know of course bowie was was american fanboy too yeah it's it's a spectacular early, and it's weird that it's sort of early Bowie because there's a timelessness to it, but it's one of the great songs of all time. Could have got number one. I consider picking a number two. I mean, in retrospect, I, maybe I should have because I don't know if you would have picked Whole Lot of Love with one of your two picks, but I wasn't sure. So, and I knew, I knew you'd pick her with one of your picks. So, and it wasn't like I was worried it wasn't going to get selected. And uh, Major Tom might come back and uh, visit us again. Oh, I think that's a certainty. Just going to be a matter of which one of the three fanboys picks it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was Foley's first big song, right? It's haunting. There's a story there. He's lost in space. There's this echoed orchestral sound with Rick Wakeman on Mellotron. It just perfectly evokes the vastness of space. He's got these multi-track vocals, which really makes you feel Major Tom's sense of isolation and alienation. It's just an amazing performance. And like you said, it, it spawned his own classic sequel many years later. 
It also influenced Elton John's Rocket Man, which Gus Dudgeon was the producer of both songs. Paul Buckmaster, who is the arranger here, also worked with Elton John a lot. You got Tony Visconti, Bowie's future main producer on Flutes and Woodwinds. And let's not forget it, it also led to Peter Schilling's hit Major Tom coming home. Come on. Four, three, two, one. That's a classic. Especially when Gail sang it. Yeah. Poor Gail. Poor Never Gail. had a shot. No. Breaking Bad. Also, I, I distinctly remember, I just don't remember what episode it was, Keith commented on the fact that the space race and the moon landing in 69 had a profound effect on people and on music. And Keith had commented in a previous episode how many songs reference space and space travel. Do, I just, yeah, when we were talking about Rocket Man, that's when. That's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and this is really the beginning. I mean, this literally happened like it was released. I don't remember the exact like I don't know the exact timing, but it was released within the same month that we landed on the moon. I think it was within a week, which was intentional, of course. But even so, like it just shows you like the zeitgeist of the time was so focused on that, and it was so meaningful to so many people in a way that doesn't necessarily resonate now as much. Yeah, we all had it on our draft boards, and the biggest Bowie fanboy got to it first. Yeah. Now is where I have a hard time. Because, God, this board is just so ridiculous. This is the most ridiculous board at pick number four. I'm that really was... surprised you guys haven't picked a certain band. But wait, seriously? You wait, you didn't think that... I was pretty sure these were gonna be the top three songs. No, because of gamesmanship. Oh. There's an album where Three songs are available that any one of them could be picked. And I figured someone would jump on the one they like best. Three, three songs or eight songs? Or eight. Or... No, no, I'm talking about three actual epic songs. All right, well, that might still get picked. Anyway, keep your up. Yeah, I know. Uh, he's but... struggling, man. Leave, leave well, him that alone. This is he's why he's got to have an ordered board. Tough decisions, we we go back and back the whole ordered board thing. All right, uh, I'm gonna throw a curve. Ooh, I think I know what it is. Oh, yeah. Wow, I definitely did not expect this one. Wait, you didn't expect this to get drafted, or you didn't expect Keith to draft it? I wasn't sure it would get drafted at all. Definitely not this high. Interesting. I love it though. I mean, it's a great song. It's a great pick. And it's very 1969. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
little surprised he didn't play that part, to be honest with you. I thought you were I too. Had, I had to include the sort of the, the middle part. Um, okay. That's Crosby, Stills, Nash, Sweet Judy, Blue Eyes. I don't know, there's something special about that song. And I probably overdrafted it. I recognize that. I know, but the other songs are going to get they're going to get drafted <laughs> drafted high. I hope my other song gets picked of the three Scott was referencing. I don't know the, the harmonies here like rival the Beach Boys, maybe even surpass it in terms of just the beauty of it. It's possible. It's legendary, but not Beach Boys legendary. There's a beauty. It's, it's, it's close. Come on, give them a little credit. It's close. There's a beauty to just the, the way that they, they harmonize together. There's a magic to this song. And, you know, again, it takes you through a musical journey. There's different sections. There's different emotions that you feel through each through each part. So um, I'm sticking with it. It's a freaking awesome song. And this is a super group, right? I mean, you get the yeah. birds, you get Buffalo Springfield. Like, this is... this the is Hollies. Yeah, you get, this is an early folk rock super group. Yeah, and more than any other band, they probably embodied that whole Woodstock generation, right? And they had three distinct songwriters and singers. They had a great vocal blend, as you noted. Stephen Stills was just an amazing musician. He was really the key to the band in terms of musicianship. As far as their songwriting, you had Nash. He was like the poppy songwriter. He wrote most of their big hits. Crosby was more abstract and ethereal. And Stills was basically the most straightforward and rocking. And this is a Stephen Stills song about his then-girlfriend, Judy Collins. And it's just a great showcase, like you said, for their their tremendous group chemistry and above all else, their harmonies. It's a classic song. And I kind of felt guilty we didn't pick Carry On in 1970. That's an amazing song also. They really didn't record that much together as Crosby, Stills, and Nash because of the drugs, and they did a lot of solo albums, and Crosby and Nash did some duo albums, but at their best, they were really a, a tremendous force to be reckoned with, and this is them at their absolute best. And I, and I feel like, like unlike some bands, they didn't re- only record things because they were, like, at least as far as I know, fighting. They just sort of, like you said, they would do their own thing, they would form little groups, they would just, and then they would just come back and do something, and then they would go tour, and then they would go do something else again. Like, there was, it didn't seem like there was a lot of acrimony at that. And hey, pour one out, David Crosby, this year. Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. but this is definitely a Stephen Still song, first and foremost, and tremendous song. But yeah. a little surprised it's this high. I'm not surprised it was drafted, but like you said, maybe a little overdrafted given the competition. But like you said, the rest of the songs that it's in competition with will be appearing anyway. So yeah, and I'll I'll just sit back and and wait now. Well, that's that's part of the fun of it too, because you can just sort of appreciate the other songs that you know you don't have to worry about and agonize over drafting them all right larry you're up with the next pick all right and you had mentioned that there was an album that has not one not two i shouldn't have mentioned that i should have three songs in the top five on best ever albums for at least the best songs of 1969 and whether you had said that or not it wouldn't have changed what i was going to pick because i was going to pick one of the songs off this in fact the hardest part about this wasn't necessarily picking the song. It was picking what part of the song. And you're going to pick one that I believe Keith and I would not have picked. Probably not. But I'm picking it. We may all pick different songs. I was thinking that. I actually think that's probably true. I'm picking the one that, to me, best embodies 
the spirit of, of I think this this incarnation of this band partially because of the free jazz part of this song giveaway yeah which should give it away to, for those 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 who've been following along in our cryptic music nerd speak but this epitomizes what this band was trying to do like this song is almost impossible to categorize that is not the song that I picked but that's a good pick yeah and I kind of figured that that was exactly how we would go for each of the three songs. No, I would have picked the same one as Keith. Oh, okay. Well, I picked this one. I think I had to play the intro too. I thought about it, but I just thought it was too long. I could play the intro. The intro is iconic, but I wanted I wanted the Fripp guitar solo. You played the jazzy freakout part, and I played the Fripp solo. Yep, but I think you have to capture some of the vocals too. Play right. the well, intro you, too. You don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> Roger Waters definitely heard that. For sure. Tool, Porcupine Tree, every prog band since. Every prog band in existence had to listen to King Crimson. So that was King Crimson with 21st Century Schizoid Man, also sampled in Kanye West's Power 40 years later. We talked about this album, and we talked about songs on this album before, but this is one of my go-tos. I listen, I listen to King Crimson probably a lot more than I thought I would, both both this and Red, which we talked about. Yeah. It's one and, of the greatest albums of all time. And the reason is because it's like nothing else 
you hear even now, and certainly not in 1969. It's free jazz. It's one of the first prog rock albums. It's metal. It's industrial. It's hard rock. It's classical. It's so much of everything with phenomenal musicianship, no matter what. So you had Greg Lake there singing, but distorted singing, right? You have Robert Fripp with a phenomenal, but also weirdly atonal and like dissonant solo. You've got Ian McDermott with the, the sax. I mean, there's there's so much going on in this song, and, and it's a seven-minute song. There's only so much we can play of it without making you guys go to it, which you should. You should go listen to the entire album and listen to the whole song. But there's so much going on. And we've said before, some of the things that we really gravitate to are albums that reward frequent multiple listens. Because to me, I discover something new about this album and this, these songs almost every time I listen to them. You pick up different things all the time because the musicianship is so phenomenal. It's an immersive album, right? You, yeah. you have to dedicate yourself. The great thing is it's an immersive album with a built-in bathroom break. Moonshot. You talked about Moonshot. Yeah. It's primarily an all-time great album because it's three songs, right? And they're all between seven and ten minutes long. Yeah. They're epic songs. This one is the crazy jazz rock hybrid that's kind of metal also with those distorted vocals. How great are the drums on this album, by the way? Phenomenal. The vocals are so distorted that you really, you either need to like look at the lyrics or, or really listen. But this is an anti-war song. Like this is a reaction to Vietnam talking about napalm and rape and sh and this was a, an anti-vietnam war song so it has that power it has that anger and that like seething to it yeah it's ground zero for prog rock and i'm gonna stump for the other two songs epitaph which keith and i both would have picked to me it's one of the all-time epic ballads with greg lake's greatest vocals one of the greatest vocals of all time in my opinion it's just so emotional and then you had the closer, the Court of the Crimson King. It's one of the definitive epic symphonic prog rock and Mellotron songs. And yeah, I'm overusing the word epic again, but really that's the only word that describes these songs. They're all amazing. The songs on the album and the album cover. The album cover used to freak me out. It used to scare me. And it scared me just because it's like, you know, it's like a demon or whatever. But if you just focus on the eyes... The eyes have incredible sadness in them, and it makes it just that much more compelling to me. It's one of the greatest <laughs> album covers ever. Yeah. It's definitely intended to be unsettling. It is definitely, it is intended to be unsettling. Yeah. And this song is unsettling, and that's, I guess, what differentiates it from the other two, which are these epic symphonic ballads. To me, Epitaph just has, again, it embodies more of what I take away from music, right, in terms of yeah. It's more emotional. It's a crushing song. It's freaking awesome. It's kind of like folk, kind of classical, right? It's just such a beautiful, majestic, and moving song with one of the greatest vocals ever. That would have been my pick. Epitaph was the A-side to 21st Century Schizoid Man's B-side. They weren't really about singles. They were right. more, but if you were to buy the single, you did pretty well with that one. Yeah. All right. So you kind of almost making me pick this song but i'm cool with that or should i say songs i can't believe this lasted this long yeah. but i would have picked a different part though i would have picked a different part too but i again you can't quibble but again with that's exactly my point <laughs> the only reason i didn't is just because we we picked it in a different episode yeah but you gotta pick it again you have to represent to 69 come on yeah. 
Nope. This is maybe the greatest album of all time. I'm not disagreeing. By the greatest band of all time. Giveaway. By the way, one comment that I got from a listener is that we overuse our superlatives. Like, this is the greatest, the most epic. But we admit that we do. We admit that we do, but also <laughs> we're talking about 1969. I mean, there's not many better years of this. I have a comment to your friends, you whoever said that. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling he was going to say that. We love our listeners. We never said we were perfect. Would have picked a different clip than that. Come on, man. All right, that was Abbey Road. That was the Abbey Road medley by the Beatles. Simply put, the 16-minute medley that occupies all of side two on Abbey Road features a grandly epic sweep. There's that word again. That is as majestic as any popular music that has ever been recorded, comprising eight tracks of varying duration, the majority of which were penned by Paul McCartney. These songs come together pardon the pun, as a seamless whole that far exceeds some of their individual parts, some of which are still admittedly spectacular. For example, the segue from John Lennon's hard-rocking polythene Pam into Paul's She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, later notably covered by Joe Copper, is among the medley's most memorable moments, and Golden Slumbers is a beautiful, majestic ballad. The band all join in on the chorus to carry that weight, an epic sing-along to rival even Hey Jude. And Ringo even takes his lone drum solo on the end. And the other three all take turns trading guitar solos as well. A fantastic idea, brilliantly executed. The end rocks exceptionally hard and well until its gorgeous glorious fade out. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. What a closing lyric. What an amazing song, sweet. There's not much to add, although I think you might have misspoken. The entire second side is not just the medley. It does start with Here Comes the Sun, right? I'll have to plead ignorance. With CDs now, there's no sides. And Spotify even more so, right? It kind of gets blurred. And Here Comes the Sun's on my board. I mean, it's like, it's... And something too. I had something on my board. And the reason why I had something is because it's too hard for me to pick something from the Abbey Road. Melody. I gave my pick in the chat. Golden Summer's in to carry that weight. I mean, there's and no I, wrong I, pick. That's the thing. No wrong pick. Pick. I would have picked Polly from Pam into the movie. bathroom window. Yeah, yeah. That's another epic. Golden Slumbers has the Paul vocal that I love. So good. Yeah. 
Yeah. But the part I picked, you can't argue against that. I no, mean, no, that's, but that's what I'm saying. That, that's I would have taken the easy way out and just picked something. Because I listen to Abbey Road still a lot, and you can't listen to part of the mel- of the end melody. You can't just, like, pick it in the middle. It doesn't, that's dumb. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, it's great if you follow it. It's like, I kind of feel like we should have picked Abbey Road in our I think, original I think, album. Tournament. I think I voted for Abbey Road. Yeah, I think I overruled you. And I think that may have been a mistake because I think Abbey Road is more timeless, less dated to this era. Both phenomenal. And you could do Sweet So Heavy, right? Had, Scott, was we were talking about that, and you asked me what my favorite Beatles album is. I'm like, honestly, it depends. Some days it's Revolver. Some days it's Sgt. Pepper. Some days it's Rubber Soul. But it's usually Abbey Road. Here Comes the Sun I listened to with headphones, with good headphones recently. And it's, it's just a... a um, Again, I said there's a depth to the to the music, it, like a, a heaviness to it that doesn't come across as much when you listen to it on, on the radio. It's just it, it, it's such a great fucking song. And that was George's coming out party, Abbey Road, right? That's he wrote right. something. It's here a comes big the song. George album. And here comes the sun that has become one of those retrospectively way bigger than it was kind of songs. I wouldn't be surprised if it's their biggest song on Spotify in terms of hits. I mean, hey, but my my kids sang it in their core in chorus in, in elementary school. I'm sure. And I remember during the pandemic, it was a big part of that as well. When someone would leave a hospital, they would play "Here Comes the Sun." Guess is right. It is. Right. By far the number one song on Spotify. And 10, 20 years ago, you would never have said, this is like the biggest Beatles song. It's become way bigger than it was once upon a time. I so, think elementary school chorus is a big reason why it's, it gets so many plays. Anyway, I mean, Abbey I, Road in its entirety is amazing. You should listen to it. Everyone knows that already. But there were some non-Abbey Road singles by the Beatles in 1969 that are are worth a mention, but if you guys are going to draft one or two of them, then maybe I won't say anything. I think you should just wait until the end. Something to think about. And in the end. So good. All right. All right. You're up again. We've done, literally we've done the Beatles, Stones, Led Zeppelin, David Bowie. <laughs> and and Ken uh, Crimson. Ken Crimson and Crowley Souls of Nash probably don't want that. This band is a legendary band, but it's probably more in the CSN than the Beatles or Zep category. We spoke about them, I believe, in 70 or 71, and here they are again. And I'm pretty sure you guys will be surprised by this one. I don't know. You surprise me much less than Keith does. Part of that is because I'm a team player, and I pick the songs you guys should pick that you don't. Hey, man, that's your choice. We're not. No one's twisting your arm. He picks the songs and make the whole Keith may not be that shocked by this. I think I know now. Now I think I know. I'm not that surprised. Really? Are you sure we didn't pick this in 70? I'm positive. I'm going to check. No, you don't need to check. Why? Because we didn't. I thought I may have picked it. You picked 25 or 64. Oh, yeah, he's right. You did. Which this is better than. This is a phenomenal song, Scott. You didn't do one of you didn't do one of your like normal intros. Give us a little intro. My intro is that you guys would be surprised. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. I will say, this is a very very underrated band because in the '60s and '70s they were fucking awesome, and in the '80s they were fucking lame. <laughs> <laughs>
Fucking horns. Fucking horns. It's been a long time since we've had a good fucking horns shout. Yeah, that one certainly earned it. So that was Beginnings, the best song by Chicago, in my opinion. Again, early Chicago was just great. Right from the acoustic guitar intro, followed perfectly by bass and then horns, you can tell that this track is something special. The song builds and builds, peaking with drummer Danny Seraphine, whose performance throughout the latter half of the track is phenomenal, takes over at around the three-minute mark. The song continues to surge until the blaring horns then take over, one by one, ultimately leading into the frenetic It's Only the Beginning Finale, where Peter Cetera takes over from Robert Lamb as the primary singer. I've loved this song for as long as I can remember, and it's never mentioned among the all-time classic songs, and I absolutely think that it should be. And I know that my dad feels this way as well, and this song is a longtime favorite of Mr. Flo. Absolutely. This is a top song. This was on my draft board. I just, I just, it just didn't click for me for this year. You thought we drafted it already. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's crazy. To, that's why. Like, I, how could I not? How could it not be on my draft board for '69? I must have. It must have been picked in '70. Yeah, it's. I love this. This song is great. It's Chicago's best song. It's spectacular. Like, this is uplifting. Lo- love the song. Like I said, this this band is so underrated because of what I think most people think about Chicago, think of Chicago when they think about them from like the eighties, at least, you know, people of our generation. And yet they were a kick-ass avant-garde band in the sixties and seventies. This is their best song. It's not my favorite Chicago song, but it is their best song. So what's your favorite Chicago song? Make me smile. As part of the medley, right? With with Color My World. Yeah, Color My World. Chicago Amazing. Chicago One was Chicago Transit Authority. That's what they were called before the actual Chicago Transit Authority had a problem with that. And that was probably my favorite Chicago album because it was the most guitar-heavy album, Terry Cat, that had classic songs like Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is, mm-hmm. Questions 67 and 68, The Introduction, Poem 58, amazing album, Chicago Transit Authority, and Chicago Two were both double albums. And you had... Chicago 5 was great as well that had Saturday in the Park and Dialogue, right? And then Chicago 7, another double album. They really could have been a little bit better about uh, naming their albums, though. <laughs> Maybe that was uh, part of the problem. Is they As big as they were, and they were freaking huge. They were huge. I think they had like five number one albums in a row. There was a certain baselessness to them in that it was the brand. Yeah. You couldn't name a, like an individual guy, but together they were an amazing band. And, and to me, this is them at their absolute peak. Great musicianship, right? The horns, the drumming, the vocals, just it's all there. It's the build, man. It's That's got the build. All about the build. Yeah. All about the build, always. So, as always, I'm thinking about changing it up. So, you want to, since Scott always says I'm so predictable, Scott, you just want to pick my song for me? You just want to tell me what I'm about to pick? Well, you got to give me a little hint. No, no, you can't pick the Jackson 5. We picked the Jackson 5 in 1970. I want you back. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah, we did. So is it a soul song or thereabouts? Nope. So give me a hint. I mean, there's so many ones that could be. It's a totally different vibe than Beginnings. He's going with Velvet. Nope. 
I expect someone will pick that at some point. Give me a little bit more than that because there's so many. There are four. There are forerunner of a movement that I love. Okay, I know it. Well, I, there's two so, There's two songs that could fit in. There's two songs that could fit in. Yes, you're right. There are two songs. What are my two songs? I'll pick the song that I think you're thinking of as a forerunner, but not yeah. the other one. Right. So if I'm if I'm wrong, then you'll pick the other one. And if I'm right, you'll pick I, already ha- I have an idea, but go ahead. So I'm just going to say it's kick out the jams. Motherfuckers. That's right. Let's kick out the jams. And you better play the uncensored version. Got the jabs, motherfuckers. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't know I was going to pick that song, Scott. But I know, you know, there's lots of stuff going on in Memphis. Uh, you know, you always, you, so many songs. you always like go to the soul and the funk. That's where I was headed. I know, or or to the, the punk. punk, or the punk, or the punk. So, yeah, you know, I love my punk. So this is this is one of the first punk songs. I mean, this is proto punk, but this is a punk song. I mean, there's no other way to describe it, right? It's they it's, probably play their instruments a little better than you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's yeah. punk, it's proto-punk, it's grunge. It's grunge. And it's, so much more, alt. right? It's alt. I mean, you heard this in, like, you know, it's, like, sort of like a revival in the late 90s and early 2000 and, like, the hives and the vines. It's, like, the same, let's just play loud, fast, maybe slightly in control, right? But, the, yeah, these guys are definitely better musicians. And not only did they invite controversy, they loved controversy. I mean, like, their whole ethos was around controversy. They would get banned by a venue. They'd get banned by a department store that wouldn't carry their their records. Hudson's. Yeah. So their their response is to you know po- to put out like advertisements saying stick with the MC fives and fuck Hudson's. Right. I mean you know the, the the kick out the jams motherfuckers. That that's how the song originally went. And of course it, it got banned and it got censored and they they would fight with their label. They got dumped by their label and they got picked up by Atlantic. So 
I think I, I don't remember who the original label was, but I know they got dumped by them because of because of this Ele- I think it was Electra. I think you're right. I think it was Electra, yeah. And kick out the jams. What a call to arms, right? It doesn't get much better than that. So you had their Detroit peers, right? The Stooges. Here's the other song that I assume Keith thought yeah, I knew. Yeah, about. yeah. So together they were pretty much ground zero for proto punk, grunge, like I said, so much more. And they were so explosive and they were soulful, right? They were very political, like you mentioned. Yes. And they had some of the best afros to side of Sly Stone. <laughs> props, props to that as well. They, and they, they, and they, they were just an incredibly exciting and musically talented band who were proto hardcore. Proto hardcore. hardcore. They were way ahead of their time. To me, they definitely belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if you have any doubts, wait, are they not? Are they never doubts? Doubt, watch them live. I was just going to say, go on YouTube. Check out some of the live clips from Detroit in 1970 in black and white. Right, We talked about looking at you, right? So as a live band, I mean, they were rock and roll personified. And, and they were short-lived, but their prime was amazing. Kick out the jams with their first album. It was a live album, great album. Back in the USA, it was kind of a more rock and roll album. Poorly produced by John Landau, but had some great songs like Looking at You. And my favorite album by them is actually High Time, their last album, which is kind of their, probably their least acclaimed and least successful album, but their most soulful and very hard rocking album, Baby Won't Ya, from that album. Check that out. Great, great band. Glad you approved. This was definitely one that I was not going to, I was not going to let go. This was definitely, I, I needed to be the one to draft the MC5. Yeah, great pick. All right. All right. Next time. God damn it. I- I know it's tough. It's I'm tough. surprised it's he hasn't really picked the other song by the band we just talked about. I thought Keith was all over that. I thought that would be one of his first two picks, to be honest with you. Well, he's still he's got two chances now to pick it. I'm ashamed that I did not know that song. You should be ashamed. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you don't if you don't pick the song we were talking about, I'm not going to pick it with my next pick, but I will pick it with my last my fifth pick. All right, Keith. You can go in any number of ways here, man. Um, I don't know what I'm doing here, but... There's a few songs I'm surprised haven't been picked yet. Oh, I'll regret this. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's throwing a real curveball here. Great song, but is it one of the top 15 songs of the year? Debatable. It's all, you know... All in the moment. Let the clip decide. You pick the end, right? Yeah. Yeah, you gotta pick the end.
What song is that? At the Crossroads by the Sir Douglas Quintet. There we go. I just love to do, there's something about that song. It's just, it's a capsule. Like it just wraps you up. And the end of it just is a, is a killer. One more time. Um, one of the leading Tex-Mex bands. Does that count for something, Scott? Yep. Doug Sam <laughs> was the leader. They're a band I've always wanted to dig deeper on. I kind of know of them. I know a few of their songs, like She's About a Mover, which was on the Nuggets box set. And then was yeah, which was another <laughs> pretty well known song. Like you said, they're known for their Tex Mex sound. Organ is kinda the primary instrument. But there's a lo fi to there's like there's a lo fi to it. The vocals at the end really, are great. Yeah. There's a vibe. There's there's a vibe there. And I sort of go for the vibe. And not sure if you know, but it was also covered by Mata Hoople. On their first album, and it's a very good version as well. I definitely don't think I knew that it was covered by Mata Hoople. Yeah, and speaking of Mata Hoople, I just want to mention their excellent guitar-heavy song, Rock and Roll Queen, which I strongly considered as an intro song for this episode. It kicks ass, so it'll be on our honorable mentions playlist. Want to mention that as well, but it's a great song. It really is a cool tune. Vocals are tremendous. I just think that there are even better songs that could have been picked. That's all. That's fair. But, again, like, for me, music, like, has a, a feeling to it. And that song just has, like, just does something to you when you hear it. I don't want to sound like I'm critiquing it because it's a great song. It's just this is 1969, the greatest year in rock history. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. This is pers- very personal to me. I don't like say that everybody else has to have the same sort of criteria for what music sort of means to them. But you know, again, this sort of checks boxes for me because it just has that. It, you know, it, it evokes something that other songs don't have the same necessarily have the same. Again, I have two fucking, I have two picks left, right? So at no, least no, it's bad. Staying true to yourself, and it's a great tune, so it's all good. It's all good, man. So you got another one, right? I want to go just because it's an unimpeachable song. You guys can't. Uh, you can't give you shit about it. Can't give me shit for it. I'm good. I thought you might do this. I thought you might. So we picked a live version I mean, also- of this song in 1971. This is the studio version, also a classic. Both versions are the best song by this. Oh band. wait, wait. So this is in 71 episode. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Then I'm gonna. I'm, I'll pivot. All right. So he's okay. gonna pivot. So what he was going to do. He's going to play Whipping Post by the Allman Brothers Band. Wailing guitars, great dual drums, moody keyboards, and of course, Greg Allman's anguished blues vocals making an all-time classic. But we picked it already, so he's going to go with the different right, so, Yeah, I'm going to go with a different direction. And, so, and, uh, and the version we picked is like five times longer. Yeah. There's parts of it that are the same, but there's so many parts of it that aren't. It's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a different song. I almost liken it to jazz, right? It's like yeah. a jazz improv version of the song. I feel like they're both their best songs, but they're two different versions of they're it. Very different songs. Uh, I thought you might. Yeah, that's actually what I thought you were going to pick. I actually thought that you were going to pick this before you picked Crossroads. <sighs> 
The Band. The Band. If you name yourself The Band, as we said last episode, <laughs> you better be good. You better be really fucking good. What's your favorite band song? It's either this or the wait. I love other ones like It Makes No Difference, Unfaithful Servant from this album as well. This was the best album by the band, their second album. This, this is when it all came together. Start yeah, to finish, all killer, no filler. Yeah, this is their best album. And yeah, I don't know if it's, it's probably their best song. If But if not, it would be the... It's way up there. Be it's not. But man, that song... Uh, that's a sing. It's a. It's one of those sing-along songs that has, not to use a pun, it has weight to it, <laughs> right? And again, it's sort of that band storytelling. The live version in the last waltz is fucking awesome too, and the one on before the flood is great as well with Dylan. Right. So to me, there is a power to the song that's just that. It's 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 great storytelling. The whole like thematic way the music and the lyrics fit the story i have to admit the story i, I find like slightly troubling but it's yeah <laughs> it's come on the criticism in recent years but to me it's an anti-war song i like to believe that their intentions rule were well yes i do believe that's the case and it's just one of those timeless songs that seems to have always existed right it's an amazing song like the wait the band were just phenomenal band. They really were. They earned their title. They earned their title. They did. Great thing. So we talked a lot about being fanboys. We're Bowie fanboys. We're all King Crimson fanboys. And you guys know, I am the biggest fanboy of the band that I'll be playing next. As I continue to beat the drum for the greatest funk band of all time. I fucking knew it. But what song? I, I'm not sure. I would pick. There's no doubt what song. Everyday People is their greatest song, or maybe Family Affair. But this is their greatest fucking jam. This is the. Oh my god, you picked the wrong one, dude. No, this That's is the. I, I, I had the other. I had the other song. What did you have? Take me higher. Take you higher, man. Come on, dude. You picked no. the wrong one. Now this is a jam, man. Change your pick. No <laughs> I'm not going to change my pick. It's all right. It's still great, but... This is a jam. It's not I want to take you higher. Do the right I thing. Change your pick. Change your pick. Do the right thing. I love when he... Four minutes to, to be Four minutes to the end. We both agree, though, so we have to be right. Nice. Both suck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Holy shit. How did you consider any other song than that? I'll tell you right now. So we have different definitions of what a jam could be. That is them jamming. Yeah. The song I picked is a jam. <laughs> this is them freestyling. This is them having an epic outro. Totally agree. This. The whole song is epic. Forget the outro. This <laughs> is a jam. All right. So here we go. Have fun in the summertime. at his sunniest, at his happiest, right? Before the darkness hit. Like, stand is when he's, you know, when things started to change, when he started to take more of a stance. And then you get to, there's a riot going on. It's all over for stand. Yeah, like you said, stand is kind of like both, right? It's the upbeat and the downcast, too. Exactly. It's upbeat and empowering, and it's an exhortation for you to fight for what's right, but it's also, it's tinged with sadness and recognition 60s are over. Like, all the stuff that Sly and the Family Stone stood for in 67 and 68 is not coming true. And, you know, that realization of despair comes through. Hot fun in the summertime? This is just pure summer. Okay, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So we'll put them both on the playlist. I love both of them. I love Everybody's a Star. You got thank you for letting me be myself again. All three of these songs were on that Greatest Hits album. From 1970, which may be the greatest, greatest hits album of all time, and is probably the starting point for Sliding the Family Stone, even beyond Stan, which is amazing, and There's a Riot Going On, which is also amazing, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I want to take you higher as their greatest group, right? I mean, if this song doesn't make you feel uplifted and inspired, and doesn't make you want to move, then you should check your pulse, my friend, because you may be dead. <laughs> not gonna argue with you totally on board it's also a prime showcase for what a great vocal group they were right and you have the booming bass you have the blaring horn blast and some terrific harmonica playing there's just so much well. there's, there's so much to like about this band I want to take you high is also to me the song that owned Woodstock above yeah. all else right so when I think of this band I think of them at Woodstock I think of I want to take you higher and it's their definitive song, in my opinion. Flip a coin, right? They're both phenomenal. I mean, I personally would go with I Want to Take You Higher. You'll go with Half Fun in the Summertime. There's no wrong answer. They're both amazing. All right. You got double picks. Sly's creeping up the leaderboard. Everybody is a star. That would have been worthy, too. Such you, a great you, song. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong picking a Sly song. All right. So this next song is a full-bore political rant. 
with an angry bogle. Oh, I got it. This was on the board. This is this is an easy pick and a solid pick. Fortunate Son by Credence Clearwater Revival, a.k.a. CCR, a serious contender for the band's best ever rocker. This is one of those songs that has endured in pop culture and in movies and on classic rock radio. It's one of the great protest songs, and it's just a fantastic, nothing fancy, high-energy, hard-driving rock song. And the lyrics, they'll send you down a war. And when you ask him, how much should we give? They'll only answer more, more, more. I thought, I thought that was going to be a call and response, and you were going to say when they asked him how much should you give, and Keith and I were going to go, oh, more, more. more. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those um, time, right? Like, it'll always be relevant. Obviously, the 60s, like, in 69, the, like, war was a lot more real for Americans, right, than it is now. Yeah, what he's really talking about, too, is there was a draft, and... Average people got drafted, but as he says, like literally if you were a senator's son, maybe you wouldn't get drafted or you yeah. would get drafted, but you'd get to spend your days at like, you know, an air base in Alabama. And who's the one sending them to war is Yeah, exactly. exactly. So. Oh my God, we're getting way too political. This is a very political episode. This is a very apolitical podcast by design. But this is a political song, so you got to talk politics a little bit. And John dominates the band and the song. Again, his bandmates, they're just the perfect accomplices for helping him realize his creative vision. John was the dominant force in the band, but they were a band and a great band. And this song is synonymous with the Vietnam War. But like you said, it also has a timeless quality that will make it relevant for any era. And beyond its message, it's just a kick-ass, hard-driving rock tune. And CCR released freaking three great albums in 1969. Just pretty crazy. Insane, right? Yeah, Bay Country, Green River, and Willie and the Poor Boys. All amazing. We could have picked any number of other excellent songs. The most obvious and most popular contenders, of course, are Proud Mary, Badman Rising. There's so many others we could have picked as well. And... These songs and many others will be on a rather robust honorable mentions playlist. 1969, I, I might as well say in, in uh, response, give peace a chance. <laughs> oh, imagine. But what a band, right? Three great albums in one year. That's ridiculous. Like that, that just, you know. There was another band that had three great albums in 1969. Can you guys uh, a British band? whose female lead singer sang with Led Zeppelin. Marion Faithful. Come on, man. Fairpoint, Fairpoint. Fairpoint Convention. There you go. There you go. Fairpoint Convention. Fairpoint Convention is on my long list. I, I, have, a, I have a song. 
Who knows where the time goes? Maddie Groves. Who knows where the time goes in my show? And we talked about Richard Thompson, 1974. He was in Fast Your point you mentioned is, is great. It's an it's an acquired taste, but they're they're a great band. They're almost like a British version of like the Birds and or the Jefferson Airplane. That folk rock sound, also rock, but taking these traditional songs, making them their own like epic interpretations. Great. They were great, man. They really were. All right, so what do you guys think I'm right. making that? I know you love Badge. So is Badge the song? It is a great, great song. It's probably the most modern cream song. Co-written by George Harrison, classic Eric Clapton guitar solo. Love it, but no. Larry? It's not, and it's not Led Zeppelin. Go to Apple Music. Yeah. Neil. Yeah. Neil. Neil or Joni? It ain't Joni. Okay. Yeah, I figured it's Neil. This next guy had five songs drafted in the 70s. Well, here he is in the 60s on the album that really started this great run of albums. It's his second solo album, the first album with this great new backing band. This band, Neil himself, considered to be an American version of the Rolling Stones. High praise indeed. For himself. <laughs> yeah, if he does say so himself.
That was the epic cowgirl in the sand by Neil Young and Crazy Horse from it's excellent. Everybody knows this is Noah album. And I just love how Neil immortalizes dog on the album cover as well. This song <laughs> has four classic tracks and I could have picked any of them. Shorter gems like Cinnamon Girl on the title track and the more epic down by the river with its murderous lyrics a la Hey Joe as mentioned previously in our 1966 episode. But I'm going with Cowgirl in the Sand, which of course is the longest, but has always been my favorite. And it's another big favorite of my dad as well. These are the songs where Neil started to first earn his godfather of grunge moniker. Like other Neil songs I previously picked, like Cortez the Killer and Like a Hurricane, this song has dreamy atmospherics and poetic lyrics. And I really like the group's underrated harmonies as well. But above all else, it is the extended jam section where Neil's raw guitar takes over that makes his 10-minute song such an exciting, incendiary masterpiece. It's a long clip that we played, but I had to play the quiet build to the powerful guitar eruption on the intro, as well as a classic one-note solo. There were a couple songs that I thought you might pick. I did think that you were going to pick a Neil Young song. I didn't think it was this song. I thought you might go with Cinnamon Girl or Down by the River. Um, yeah, that's that's what I, I – I, I didn't think it would be Cinnamon Girl. I thought it was going to be Down by the River, but no complaints. Flip a coin. Epic album overall, like phenomenal album. Great introduction to Neil and to Crazy Horse. The other songs that I thought you might pick, because I don't think anyone's going to pick them, I thought you might go with Fleetwood Mac. Oh, well. Yep. Or Albatross. I had OL, or I thought you might go with Riverman. By Nick Drake? Yeah. Yeah, or Time Has Told Me. Or Time Has Told Me, yeah. yeah. On my list, great, great songs. Wait, which Fleetwood Mac songs did you say? OL. OL. And Albatross. What song did Albatross influence? On Abbey Road. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, Sun King, Sun King. Yeah. Oh, well. It's I thought you may pick Can't Find My Way Home. My Faith, great song. And Presence of the Lord, another great song from that yeah. album. Can't Find My Way Home is that haunting acoustic Winwood vocal. Presence of the Lord is more like Clapton. Or that, Presence of the Lord is a Clapton song, I always feel. Yeah. Because I know you're a Kings fanboy. Shangri-La is fucking awesome. Shangri-La, you have Victoria. Victoria is great. Victoria's Victoria's on my list. I I actually I have three songs that I really want to pick as my last pick, but I got to go with one of them. But Victoria was one of those three. A little anecdote about Neil. Supposedly, Cinnamon Girl, Down by the River, and Cowgirl in the Sand were written a single day during which Neil was bedridden with a hundred three degree fever. I can see that about cinnamon. He's the Michael. He's the Michael Jordan of. Uh, of Imagine that. That's a hell of a day. Yeah, that's a hell of a day. Dreams. Yeah. And also, there's a 60 minute live version of this song on live at the Fillmore East. That's even more epic than this. And obviously, Neil doesn't do Spotify. The Birds did a version of this on their 1973 comeback album. I like it. It's very modest by comparison. It's not Neil, but. At least it's a good version of the song. So we'll throw that in the playlist. All right. I've got my last pick. I had three songs that I was considering. You told me what you were going to pick. Were you gonna but I already it? told you. You're going to go through with it? Well, one of the other songs, song number one, it's a classic psychedelic soul song. One of the singers of it is probably better known 
for being a host and for being a uh, uh, okay. The fifth dimension. Yes. Age of Aquarius, let the sun shine in. And Wedding Bell Blues, we got to mention that too. Laura Nero cover, amazingly vocal. Marilyn McCoo. Marilyn McCoo is her. From the fifth dimension. And that song is best known from the musical and from the film Hair, but it is a phenomenal song. And if you yeah. haven't seen, if you haven't seen um, the documentary about, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on it now? Questlove? The Questlove documentary. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Soul. Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul. Phenomenal. And the Fifth Dimension uh, appears multiple times. In it. As do Sly and Nina Simone and several others that we've yeah. talked about. Yeah. yeah. Great, great one. Okay. Another song, we already talked about it, so I didn't have a chance to pick it, which is The Stooges. I Want to Be Your Dog. Which I think is still in play. I'm just shocked beyond belief that Keith hasn't picked it yet. Well, he still has a shot. He still has a shot. Okay. The third song is I couldn't pick it because I can't be you know you guys aren't going to bully me into picking it I know you have to pick it you have to pick it yeah it's like one of your all-time favorite songs how can you not pick it that would be let's just say if he picks picks it he's picking it with his own free will he's not being bullied in it that's true that's true um the other (laughs) song the other song this should be picked but it just doesn't fit is peaceful Oh, yeah. Miles. Miles. So this falls into the same camp as Love Supreme. It's a phenomenal album yeah. with two songs. How do you fucking pick a clip? You Impossible. can't pick. Like you can't. You, I couldn't pick. You, you can't just pick a 90 second to two minute. From a, that's why Can gets excluded, right? That's why Can gets Can is also on my long list. What album was released in 1969 that we often talk about that clears a room better than any other album? I actually, thought, I actually thought you possibly would pick a song from there, just to be a dick. Child Mouse Graphica, baby. Child Mouse <laughs> Yeah. Which I'm definitely nearing my, like, 30th listen of Trout Mouse Replica, and it still quite hasn't clicked right. yet. Another, I don't know, I feel like I'm doing my honorable mentions now, but another one yeah. is It's Your Thing. I thought you might pick that. Yeah. The Isley Brothers, their mm-hmm. post Motown, first song they wrote and produced by themselves. Yep. Before their classic three plus three lineup with the younger brothers and Ernie Isley, where they became that classic seventies band. But yeah, classic tune on commercials, right? Very much entrenched in pop culture. Very much in pop culture. But none of those are what I'm going with. Instead, I'm going with I'm taking a page out of my your friend Keith Floman's book and go in French. No way. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And pour one out for Jane Birkin, who passed away not a month ago. And she's not French, so. And she's not French. Right. So it's not really she a speaks, She speaks English. She speaks but English. Not in, but not in this one. <laughs> and I'm not even really sure. I'm even sure. They're not even speaking a lot. They're not even really speaking. <laughs> and as I was sharing with Keith, this song was introduced to me by a very, very, very close friend. And it's a phenomenal song, and I'm forever grateful that she introduced it to me. But it was a little bit awkward at first.
I'm not really sure what Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin are trying to intimate in this song. I need a, I need a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, I feel like something's going on in this song, and it's causing them to be a little breathless and a little worked up. Like eight years before Donna Summer decided to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's get, very chill, right? Very sexy. It's very, very chill, hot. very sensual. Yeah, it's got like a loungy kind of sound musically. Yeah. And you can hear the influence on later bands like Stereolab and Air. Totally. Speaking. So it's funny you say that. The other day I was listening to like a mixed playlist that I have and Je t'aime moi non plus came on and then Moon Safari came on right after that. It was like serendipitous, right? And it was on a random, you know, shuffle, but you definitely hear that. And yes, I played it a little bit for effect, but it is an exceptional song. Like you said, Scott, it's got a very chill, chill vibe. And if you listen to it without... I'm not even sure if they're lyrics, but without the vocalizations, it's a different song. But in 69, it was banned. And, yeah. and it was originally written for Serge Gainsbourg's girlfriend at the time, which was Brigitte Bardot, who is, you know, for those who are a lot older than us. Not bad, Serge. Not bad. bad. Serge did pretty well for himself. But Brigitte Bardot is like the pinup. She's the Marilyn Monroe. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was like the it girl of the... 50s and 60s. Apparently, he wrote it after having a really bad date with Brigitte Bardot that was so bad that she called him and basically demanded an apology for why the date was so bad. So he wanted to write the most sensual love song he could possibly think of. And he came up with this, and then she dumped him. So then he switched to... I thought she actually actually recorded the song and then refused to let it be released, but... Uh, I I don't know, but I mean, the one we listened to was with Jane Birkin. Yeah, yes. So... Anyway, and, and so is somewhat infamous for his TV appearance with Whitney Houston. <laughs> I don't know if I know that story. He basically, this is years later, he was a bit of a drunk at this point, and he told her he wanted to fuck her on live. <laughs> well, I mean, there's not by the way. Exactly, right? Uh, but... Just to alleviate Scott's, the song has like 50 million plays on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. He's well, a legend. He did insult her a little bit, though. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. The Wikipedia article for this, it says something to the effect of like, the song culminates in orgasm sounds by Jane Birkin. <laughs> so. It was definitely ahead of its time. It was way ahead of its time. All right, Keith. I do the right thing. On my own, on my own accord. Do the right thing. Nice. Do it. Do it. On my own accord. Do it. Play the last fucking minute, 30 seconds of fucking Iggy blasting your fucking ears off. Fucking dog. Don't shock you guys if you missed another song with him. I can't see a song like this. It's a band that we've picked many times and we love in the 60s and they're very alternative and they talk about ding-dongs and stuff. Pinball Wizards. Yeah, I know. They they do. But they don't have orgasm sounds at the end of their songs. Actually, they, they do. You <laughs> meant this guy's meant to who? I meant Pale Blue Eyes. He meant, he oh, meant, yeah. he meant Velvet. We're not going to take it is very high on my list, but didn't quite get to it. We got to talk about Tommy, right? I mean, one of the best albums in 69 for sure. Yeah, not too late. They got fucked. Sorry, Tommy. 
All right. Iggy. The MC5. Damn, that fucking kills, man. And when you contextualize it, right, for 1969, man, that shit's off the chart. MC5 and the Stooges, contemporaries, like, sort of introducing the world to this other shit that is not going to be played on the radio, it's not going to be commercial. And yet, it, right, it's going to inspire a groundswell of fans that, you know, Iggy is the underbelly, right? He embodies all of it. And again, the, there's a connectivity to Velvet, right? John Cale, I think he produced it. Yeah. So, like, there's definitely a connectivity, and it just, you know, launches into this other sort of tentacle of music that becomes sort of awesome shit that you fucking love, so. This is pure primal rock music, right? We could call it proto-punk. You could also call it proto-metal, right? Like you said, it's produced by John Cale of the Velvet Underground, who plays piano and sleigh bells on the song as well. Piano, plays piano. It's one It goes like this. It's like every piano playing. Yeah, but you notice it, right? This song kicks ass. It's raw, it's primitive, it's high energy. Come on! High excitement, it's dark, it's menacing, it's sexy, it's sleazy, it's anthemic and heavy as hell for 1969. Like druggy. It's druggy. Yeah, it's the most famous, the most popular, and probably the most covered song for good reason. And also a shout out to 1969 and No Fun. Those are amazing songs as well. But No Fun. This is a no-brainer if you're going to talk Stooges. Now, if you're going to pick Stooges, you, you can't you can't not pick. But no far greater than 1969. We agree on that. They're both great. I don't want to have to pick. <laughs> but I want to be your dog. What a great fucking title. Yeah. All right. So the song that I wanted to squeeze in there, like that I wasn't obviously able to, is. Boz Skaggs, Loan Me a Dime. Loan Me a Dime is a 12 and a half minute fucking just 
awesome jam song. It's not a Boss Gag song, though. Who Steals the Song? It's a Dwayne Allman song, man. And we talked about, like, how Robert Fripp, some of his best guitar playing was outside of King Crimson. Some of Dwayne Allman's best guitar playing was outside of King Crimson. You're right, Scott. Fripp just steals songs without a songwriting credit, right? Just playing along and and then just like dominate like stealing stealing the show. That said, Buzzcags is awesome on, on the track. And it's just one of those immersive long songs that just takes you on a journey and it's worth investing in. Please listen to it if you're interested. But Dwayne Allman He's the Philip Seymour Hoffman of music, right? He steals every scene that he's in. I like that. Any other honorable mentions? Something in the air, Thunderclap Newman was close to getting a nod. If not for the unfortunate, like, piano, keyboard, like, intermission in that song, I think it would be, like, even, even higher. If they realized that, Guitars was the future, not keyboards. <laughs> Great song, later covered by Tom Petty. Speedy, the ghetto, the ghetto, ghetto, the ghetto is uh, fucking awesome. There were so many other songs that we could have picked. We already talked about the boxers, certainly one of them. Pale Blue Eyes by the Velvet Underground and the Who. We're not going to. Oh wait, before you jump off of that, because Blue is a recurring theme in 1969. Yes. Little yeah. Girl Blue by Janice fucking is awesome. It's like and, a crushing song. And Venus by Shocking Blue. We talked about Breaking Bad, Tommy James and Sean Dell's Crystal Blue Persuasion. Yeah, great, great call. Great, great tune. And we yeah. talked about the Beatles earlier. Don't Let Me Down. You could go Hey Bill Dog as well. One of the kind of underrated straighthead rockers. You don't hear it much, but great, great tune. Led Zeppelin, right. Dazed and Confused, so many songs from Zeppelin. Oh, I didn't even start going down the list of songs by artists we've already picked, but... B.B. King, The Thrill is Gone. Yep. Grateful Dead, Dark Star from their live Dead album. Didn't I Blow Your Mind? Delphonics. Delphonics, we talk about Philly Soul. That was like mm-hmm. the first shot fired, right? Yep. Spirit in the Sky. Spirit in the yep. Sky. The Doors, Touch Me. Mm-hmm. The Temptations, I Can't Get Next to You. Sister Morphine. By Marianne Faithful, not Marianne by the Faithful. Stones. No, the Marianne yeah. Faithful version. Yeah, great call there. Nina Simone to be Young, Gifted, and Black. Young, Gifted, and Black. Yep, yeah. awesome. Walk On By, Isaac, definitely on my short, short Oh, that was in the running for my outro. Psychedelic Soul. Bird on a Wire. Lennon Cohen. Or Joe Cocker, who did a yep. great version of it. Someday, Supremes. Someday we'll be together. Yeah. Frank Zappa, Peaches and Magalia. And oh, yeah. Uh, what a great fucking year. I love Beach Boys, Cabin Essence, underrated song. That was another one of those smile songs that appeared in a later version on 2020. Great, great song. Also, Do It Again and I Can Hear Music, other great Songs and big hits from that album. So again, you know, we talked about the Beach Boys, how their post Pet Sounds era was underrated, and that's an example of that, right? Where this album no one talks about it had these big hits and this amazing legendary smile song. So anyway, so this outro song 
or should I say songs, is going to be a two for one. Again, I'm going to cheat, but these songs kind of belong together because these were two legendary artists who recorded two great albums in Memphis. The first song will be Dusty Springfield, Son of a Preacher Man, which got renewed popularity when it was featured in Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. And then we have Elvis Presley with one of his greatest Latter-day songs, Symphonic Soul, Suspicious Minds. Soul, and now we have the king of rock and roll. Oh, 